This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. We talk SVU crime and we do not have celeb guests because we are in the strike. We're supporting our union. Yeah, (laughs) but we got a good one for you like always. The only thing, I didn't do much this weekend, but I would like to share. (laughs) I did see the movie Strays. Oh my God, you wanted to see that so bad. (laughs) I did. I went alone. I went to see Strays at just in our Highland Park Theater, which is very old timey. It's um, cheap. It's teens. The screen is not good. Like, it is pretty funny. The floor is sticky. Like, your feet stick to the floor. But I like going there because it reminds me of when I was in high school going to see movies. Exactly. And the prices are not. And I like that it's, it, they seem like teens that care less than the teens that are at AMC or Regal. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, they're more bad teens. Like, they're just lounging on their phones on the counter. There is no boss overlords and there's no uniforms. Yeah. So they're slutty and their boyfriends are visiting them. And I enjoy that. <laughs> I really do. But... I was embarrassed because there were teens behind me and I think they were fooling around, but they were being loud and they kept getting louder. There was only like seven of us in the theater and they just kept getting louder. And at one point they were so loud, but I felt so 
weird to try to tell someone to shut up during a talking dog comedy. You know what I mean? I know. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to miss the plot. Yeah. Like, I just couldn't do it. I was like, you got to let the teens just talk as loudly as they want because, you you know, they have skateboards. Yeah. I'm not messing with them um, for the dog movie. But it was funny, but I was the only one laughing. I actually... I, I want to be in more packed theaters. Like, I was the yeah. only one laughing. Or maybe I'm just a fool. But, I you know, I enjoyed it. It was silly. Yeah, well, the teens are, like, not laughing because they're like, what if my friend doesn't think it's funny? I mean, or they're busy giving each other hand jobs or something. I don't know. But, like... Oh, no, there were two orgasm no noises that came from the back. <laughs> they were not behaving. And that's not a big theater. Like, if you're hooking up at the AMC or something, you're up, you're up hot. You're in the back. Yeah. You're, like... So there's only like maybe 20 rows, maybe. Like, honey, yeah. what if one I need to pee once and I see everything? <laughs> no, I heard I was I felt old for sure. You're making me think of a time where I was way younger than I am now, and I yelled at a bunch of teens at the premiere, not the premiere, the first Hunger Games movie when I went to go see it. I was in the front fucking row, so I was so pissed because that movie is like not the movie you want to be in the front row for. Like what movie do you want to be in the, the front row for? None. Well, I'm just saying, like a movie that's more just like like I could see Book Club in the top in the front row if I if I had to. You know what I mean? Like there's not action sequences where your whole like body is like you can't even see what's going on because you're so close. And then these teens next to me were like would not shut up, and I was like, "Be quiet! If I'm in the front row, I'm not like not letting you ruin this for me." And that's the last time I remember yelling at a teen. So that was many years did ago. Did they listen or did they tell you? Yeah, to they, shut the they fuck were up. quiet after. They were quiet after I told them. I, I was nice. So I was like, can you guys just stop? And they were like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. The only movie I remember distinctly being really in the like front row was Pineapple Express. Okay. That so because I do love a lot of old timey shit, but I do like reserving seats. It's nice. Yes, it's you know you can come a little later. You don't have to watch the pre. Like it really used to be such a race, and I do Absolutely. like getting my time gifted back to me. Yeah, um, that was Hunger Games was absolutely in a pre reserved seat time because I was like, I've already bought my ticket. Like, I didn't even consider that I could like get a refund and come another time. Like, I was like, I'm here. I have to see Hunger Games. I have to see it in the worst way possible. <laughs> so I saw it at a, with my neck at a 45 degree or even steeper angle. But, oh, you know what I've been wanting to do forever is shout out our, we have a good friend named Amy Phillips who we've been on her, we've been on her Patreon. She has a great Patreon about Bravo. She's like the woman that imitates all the housewives. Her therapist listens to our podcast, and I just want to say, hey, you're doing the Lord's work out there helping people with their minds. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I told her we would give her therapist a shout out, and here I am doing it. And then speaking of all things Bravo-related, we, Lisa and I, are actually going to be ho guest hosting the daily show on Sirius XM called Reality Checked. It's on... Uh, Every day from one to two Pacific. So if you're on the East Coast, that's th uh, four to five. So that's kind of like your drive time or when you're going to pick up kids from school or whatever. That's a great time. Sirius XM, Radio Andy. It's called Reality Checked and it's the week of September 18th, which is my birthday week. If you don't tune in, you're specifically not giving me a birthday gift. 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. We are going to be on every day for an hour talking about Bravo. Yeah, I'm really fucking excited. And we're going to feel like real radio jockeys, you know? Yeah. 
I'm going to feel yeah. like Eddie and Jobo. I can't yeah. wait. <laughs> that, those are our boys in Chicago. Or for me, Elvis Duran from Z100. Yeah, I'll just be like, <laughs> we got a caller coming in. Boo, 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 boo. Like, I can't wait for us to be fully zany shock jocks. I know. I'm really, I'm really fucking jazzed. And this actually reminded me of our, we ha- we went to dinner. We did go to dinner. We did see Mandy Moore and Hilary Duff at the same restaurant. Excuse I, me, together. Together with uh, men that are just like a sketch artist drawing <laughs> of a man. Like no distinguishable characteristics, nothing, just blurs of a beard. Like, I, you don't even look at these little twerps yeah. when you have Mandy Moore and Hillary Duff walking by you. It if was, you were like, I'll give you $5 million to give me two physical descriptions of one of these men, I would be like... I would actually do it because b- brown hair and beard. Yeah, I guess. I don't... The brown hair, I'd be like, I think. Like, I don't... I was really... I didn't even register their faces. It was full prosopagnosia, face blindness. <laughs> did not register them at all. I had only eyes for Mandy Moore and Hillary Duff and... It was amazing. It was amazing. I wish, I was just so focused because we knew Hillary Duff was there. Our friends saw it like on the way to the bathroom. So that was confirmed. And I wish I wasn't so focused on Hillary Duff that I got more into my eyes and brain of Mandy Moore. <laughs> She's just like a, a tall blur to me that I liked. Magnetic. <sighs> you could tell why yeah. she's a star. But too quick. Oh, I'm actually looking at a gift bag right now. I went to the store shorthand in our neighborhood. They have such good cards. Oh, yeah. They have cards for things that no one else does. There's one about like congratulating someone on being sober and how hard it is to be sober. They have cards if your pet passes. They have like, they just have such supportive cards that you don't see in other places. Yeah, and they're beautiful too. They're all just like such pretty cards at shorthand. Yeah, I just, I'm obsessed with it. I did. Wait, so you got uh, a message from someone, a DM, and they had a question for me. Yes, I we got a message from a listener that really made me LOL. I took a screenshot, I sent it to Lisa that was just like, can someone explain why Lisa went to an evangelical college when she is the biggest Jew around? Like, what's happening? How did this happen? You know that there are bigger That's my Jews. words. My words, not theirs. But how did Lisa end up at this Midwestern evangelical college? And I was like, what a great question we will address. It's a perfect question. And I'm so excited to dive into this. So I went to Iowa State. That's where I went in the beginning. Do I regret wasting my family's money? Of course. I I don't know why I went to Iowa. It was to follow my passion advertising. So... (laughs) I arrive at Iowa State. I'm there for a year and a half and I drop out my second semester sophomore year. It just was not working out for me there. There were some arrests. And if you want to know more about the arrests, I did a show on Comedy Central called This Is Not Happening. And it's on YouTube. And I tell all my arrest stories. Um, And yeah, cool show. So after I dropped out, I went home and I wasn't really like allowed a break. I had to like, what's up next? What's going on? So... I decided I want to work in the music business. And I went to Columbia College for a semester for music business. I am tone deaf and it is insane. Um, But (laughs) I was working at a hair salon. I was going to Columbia College. And within a semester, I knew this was not my path. And so there was a girl that was on a real world in my class. She was annoying. I kind of want to stalk her and find her. Ooh, that'll be a fun adventure for me. So then I decided I wanted to be a PE teacher. 
And I remembered my old PE teachers, a couple of them, and one old softball coach went to this place called North Park. And it's in the city. It's on Foster and Kedzie in Chicago. And that's only like a 20-minute drive from my parents' house. So I just thought, okay, great. And they advertise it like it's a commuter school. So there's billboards everywhere of all different types of city kids hanging out. And it's a big issue because they they advertise like, oh, we're just a city college. Come on down. And I thought it was going to be like Loyola, Notre Dame, DePaul. Yeah. Like, sure, it's religious. It's Jesuit, but like, not really. And then it was truly evangelical no gay, no abortion, get married at 19, like brag about your fucking mission trips. Like gross. It was great. I went in open-minded, chill. And then I just kept having to write essays on gay issues. Like, is gay marriage okay? And I'm like, this yeah. is so not an issue for me. You don't even know where I've worked and what I've done. Like, I, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, at that point, I had worked at hair salons as a teen with just like, drag queens and derby girls and, like, cool-ass people. And then I was in this college, so regressive, having to, like, talk about gay as if it was an issue. That It just, it was fucked. Yeah. But I also regret it because within that mile of that college, there's another college, Northeastern, and I just felt like it wasn't good enough for me. But it would have been, it's a four-year college. It would have been so much cheaper. It would have been easier. It would have been amazing, but I wouldn't have met my best friend. Yeah, I was going to say. Julia. So it's that you met your bestie. Works. Yeah, and then I switched to sociology because I, I found comedy at 21. And so I just switched to sociology. And I did like my little core girl group, I would say. Like, we did have a great senior seminar. We did cool experiments and essays. And like, I loved the one professor I had who recently passed, actually. And then, so you, so you stayed there for two more years? Well, I actually had one more semester with a few um, credits that I had to do because of all the transferring I did. Like, not everything transferred. Um, and we're lucky that I had a friend in, that worked there. So. <laughs> Some things were shifted. Some nice. things were counted. <laughs> so I surprised my parents with my graduation. So my sister told them that they were going to a Russian concert and then they just stopped at McDonald's and then I was in the McDonald's in my cap and gown ready for them. And then it was a surprise. And I knew my dad was in a good mood because we went to Maggiano's and we got to get apps and desserts. And I got like a a mint grasshopper dessert drink. Like I could tell he was really in a good mood when we went (laughs) ham at Maggiano's. Yeah. Love it. But they were oh my God, so I love surprised. That. Yeah, so that was that's the long tail. Should I have gone to Northeastern? Should I have stayed in school? Like, I tell the youth, don't waste your parents' money at, or loans. Like, it's really... I guess you want to go where you want to go when you're a teen, but it it is not a regret, but I feel bad. I feel guilty. I feel like... Yeah. I know that's life. You experience things to get where you are, but I do feel bad. Like, they work so hard. I took all their right. money. For what? for what to take economics in Iowa like it's just it's insane college is so fucked but I hope all of you that have just started college or grad school or your kids have just started school are having an amazing September school year I know I'm like seeing friends that I have that are older drop their kids off at college I know your sister's just dropping one of your nieces off at college it's like nuts yeah I got them I got her a card at shorthand. I mean, they're not paying me for this, but I'm telling you, they just have like such thoughtful things. Like, I know you're having a hard time, but I'm here for you. Like, what? Like, it's just so sweet. 
It's just so sweet. Do they have a card that says, congratulations on your podcast going on tour? Because guess what, guys? We're going on tour. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to get into it too much. We're always plugging our tour. But tonight, as of the really- Well, we got to keep plugging. Because what happens is then someone goes, when are you here? And it's like, honey, we were there a month ago. Yeah, I know. Stop fast forwarding, guys. You got to know when we're coming. (laughs) Tonight, we're in Atlanta. So this very evening that you're listening to this podcast, if you're in Atlanta, come and come to our show alone. Everybody talking about how they need a friend to go. We've had so many people come to our shows alone. They meet friends. They'll stick you at a table with other people who came alone or they'll stick you at a little group and you'll have fun. Everybody meets friends. They meet up again when we come back to town. It's great. And then tomorrow night we're in Charlotte and then the next Thursday night we're in Raleigh. Please come see us, guys. Um, This is as south as we're going on this tour. So uh, come and see us and then check out that'smessedupplive.com for all of our other dates. One more little thing I'd like to plug is that my husband is producing a scripted podcast for iHeartRadio and Imagine Entertainment. That's Ron Howard's company. I'm supposed to meet him on a Zoom tomorrow. We'll see what happens. I'll report back. And uh, it's really funny. It's like a scripted, semi-scripted, semi-improvised podcast about the break room at a big box store like a Walmart. And we just talk about, or we play all these different characters. I'm on it. It's called Employees Only. It's wherever you get podcasts. We are a bunch of characters, a bunch of funny stand-up comedians, and we all are playing different characters, and we just talk about the news of the week. We have little relationships with each other. It's kind of just like a little fun sitcom, and the episodes are like 20, 25 minutes long, so they're very easily digestible on a little errand, and um, I would love if you guys would listen, give it a review. You know, it's over there on um, iHeartRadio, but also everywhere, Apple, Spotify, all the places where podcasts live. So that's my plug for that. We're really on it. We're, we're out yeah. there. We're hustling. We're out there. And if you're in New York, I'm doing Brooklyn October 11th, a big Bell House show that I'm excited about. So, Am I opening? Are you in town? I don't know if yeah. you're going to be leaving or not. No, I'm, I was going to open you for are. you. You are? Okay, one. fuck yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. Okay, this is so I'll be doing I'll be doing a couple of minutes. Everybody come see. Yeah, and then I might add one more friend then. This will be fun. Yeah. I, know, I figured I wanna... as much. I figured you'd like, because I'll just do like 10 or something. Yeah, I'll have um, <laughs> our our pal host. Let me, I'll ask her before I announce. Yeah, yeah no, and, and uh, a couple of our um, mutuals are already coming, they told me. Um, so... Uh, Let's get yeah. this episode started, baby. Yeah, we've got a, we've got, this is a very Oh my requested- God, my friend that I was going to ask to do the, po- to open for me in Brooklyn is calling me right now. <laughs> it's... A sign. It's happening. Yes. Hold on. I'm going to answer you. We're starting the episode. I'm answering my friend. I've been ignoring her for days. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. We're, we've got an awesome episode for you guys. You know I'm podcasting, girl. We are doing Born Psychopath. I'm so excited. And this is for all the Shameless fans as well. This is little baby Carl. And um, he's grown and he is evil. Okay. (laughs) Wait, what's his character like on that show? I've only ever seen that guy in this. They're all troublemakers. Like that show is a bunch of like trashy, poor people in Chicago causing crimes and trouble. But does he talk like in this, like with a dull affect kind of? Or like he sounds like almost like a surfer Cali guy to me, even when he's doing this character. 
I remember he was like a young kid. I mean, when it started, I think he was like a child child. And then oh. he got bad and started, you know, th that's what happens. They all start as children and then they all be, you know, get people pregnant or get pregnant. Like that's yeah. the whole thing where you're, that's why I stopped watching it because Jeremy Allen White's character, Lip, got into college. He's a, like a secret genius. I was so happy for him. Then they fucked it up because of, and I go, you know what? If you're not going to let Lip go to college, I'm done watching. I'm out and of I here. gave up. I gave up after five seasons. I was like, I'm not fucking dealing with this. We can't oh have one gosh. little guy finish college. I'm done. <laughs> one little guy. <laughs> like, and then they just made everyone in, yeah, into bad. Bad, bad, bad. But yeah, I don't know. I don't think he talked like this. Little Carl. I don't know. Whatever. We're starting out. We have a sassy babysitter. Uh, there's a nose piercing and a feather earring. Her hair is crispy. In the back, <laughs> we see some kids eating while she's on her phone, wishing she had a better job. Her eyebrows are thin, and she is smacking her gum. So, it, and in the at the table in the back, there's a little girl and boy, and they're bickering like children do. And Irina's not having it, and she just like gives the girl more milk. The milk spills. Fuck. What's gonna happen? Everyone's running late. The mom comes in. She has to go to work. And then she's like, and I'm going to be late. And Irina goes, no, bitch, I have plans and I have concert tickets. And the dad comes in and then the mom goes to shower. And the little girl sucks and is, and is like, Irina was texting. So no one likes her. And then the dad is also, also says he can't be home and if she can change her plans. And it's like, fuck, no. Yeah. She gave you her avails. She cannot watch your dumb kids. Like, I... Uh, but you really know what I was me. actually, I, I don't know what the situation is with Irina, but I was talking to my friend at um, camp over the weekend or the week or whatever about au pairs. If you have au pairs in your house, you have, they have to work a certain amount of hours. So sometimes you have to, not that this is fucked up. You should obviously let her go to the concert. But I didn't realize that like, there's like minimums where it's like you have to hit these hours. What or... are you talking about? How would anyone know? Like, what are you, what does that even mean? I don't know. They were just telling me, they're like, yeah, you have to hit these hours. So, so like their kids are in school for the day. So they sometimes make them work on the weekends so that they get like their free time is like during the day, but then on the weekends they have to work or at nights they have to work. So maybe they're just like, sorry, girl, you got to get your hours but who in. Who makes up these hours? It's not the like the agencies. This is a I don't know. I don't know. I don't even think she's an au pair. I don't think she lives with them. I was just, it was just came to my mind. I don't know, but Irina does not seem like an au pair. She is not <laughs> teaching them any languages. She is really pissed to be there, I would say. She is a woman after my own heart. Like, she's not happy here. She yeah. came to this country. She's probably trying to get a visa going, and, like, she's figuring it out. Like, right. she does... This is not her passion. Um, She's not hanging out from Ireland, you know, for uh, an adventure. She is... <laughs> trying to get the fuck out of this job, to be honest. <laughs> and these parents suck. I'm sorry, but he kisses the kids and he runs away as fast as possible. And um, the boy turns to his sister and goes, nobody likes a snitch. And I'm with him. I'm with him. And I was listening to a different podcast um, with like a friend of mine and she was, as a teacher and as a caregiver, don't you hate the snitches too? Like yeah. no snitch, it, no one... That is a tattletale. Like, you're not winning the hearts of the adults. The adults now also think you're a loser. So shout out to Las Culturistas with Greta Teitelman, because I agree with that. So the mom is walking out the door with the girl and the boy is like, I want dad to take me to school. And it's like, well, he's gone, babe. He doesn't like you. Like, they all don't want to be with you. The sitter, your mom, your dad, they all don't like you at all. So... 
finally, he's like, fine, then mom will take me. And the little girl says, no, that's not fair. I want mom to take me. You know, she took you yesterday and he flips out. Nothing's ever fair. Nothing is ever for him. So the mom is like, fine. So they switch. So Irina's going to take the daughter. And then Henry, we find out, is the boy. And the mom's going to take him. And then we also find out what? Oh, no, I was just going to say, do you know this actress, Hope Davis? No. That's the mom? No. Oh, I love like to say something about her? Yes. Yes. Well, people probably have seen her in Succession, which I don't watch, but she was just in a bunch of episodes of Succession, I guess. But I watched her in this wild fucking weird show called Wayward Pines, and I really like her. I think she's a great actress. She's been in a lot of shit. I don't know. She feels like a... I can't I can't think of like what other actress she reminds me of, but she feels like she works a lot. She's like in Perry Mason and like in all this kind of shit, like a lot of prestige television. But anyway, I was wondering if you knew her from anything because I I remember her well. No, and I think her, I mean, I feel bad for these people, I guess, but her, I was just so annoyed at their family unit. I didn't look yeah. into them any further. I didn't even look at what Carl's doing today. I, I don't even know his real name. I keep calling him Carl. Like, I don't, um... <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. What's Ethan going on. Kotowski is this guy's name. Okay. And, and what's he up to? Is he working? What's he up to? Let's see, Ethan. Oh my God. His picture on his IMDb is fashion. He shameless 134 episodes and then he redid this SVU and then he has only had a couple credits since then in 2022. But he's got something coming out in coming up. I don't know. Yeah, actually, it seems like he has he doesn't have that many credits. Maybe he went to college. I mean, Shameless yeah. was eleven, ten or eleven seasons. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's good to uh, to get a nice healthy break so you don't end up like I don't even know. I'm not giving this, examples. The IMDb says he started doing ads when he was four as a way for him and his mom to spend time together. <laughs> That's cute. I love that. <laughs> that is cute. But the mom's like, there's a great way we could spend time together where you make our family a lot of money. Come <laughs> yeah. into this audition room. <laughs> so anyway, so that this, so this is what, that's, we got a little career corner moment and now we're back. Um, the nanny, Irina, is going to take Ruby, the daughter, to school and the mom is going to take Henry to school. And that is what happens. And then right when Irina is going to zip up the jacket, this little bitch has to pee. And Irina's mad. She's like, what the fuck? I just put new tights on you. And the mom's like, oh, come on. She always does this. So the Henry and mom leave and Irina's shaking her head and chewing her gum as she sends Ruby to the bathroom. But now we cut to Ruby. She's in a medical office and she's talking about how her head hurts and she has a bump and her tummy hurts. And when the doctor picks up the shirt, there is a huge bruise on her side, like giant, giant bruise. And we cut straight to Amaro, who um, is with his son, but the son doesn't know it. His name is Gil, so it's a nephew. It's Uncle Amaro. There's a lot of drama. Nothing's ever simple with Amaro. And he's talking to his nephew's slash son's class about cop shit. Um, so they ask if he's ever shot anybody. We know the answer and it is yes. And he will shoot a child. But here he goes, oh, you know, I've just pulled my weapon. That's it. But we know the truth. And he shows off his bulletproof vest and he like hits it like a little gorilla. And then it's ring, ring. And he's got to ditch the lecture and run back to work. And the nephew confirms that they're still going to go to the Rangers game tomorrow night. Plan is set. They will be watching hockey. Now, Amaro enters the precinct and Benson asks, 
how his son is. And Amaro goes, well, he doesn't know he's my son, but yeah, he's fine. So they're at the uh, doctor's office now and the mom is there and the dad is coming in from Hartford, which is wild. Usually people live in Connecticut and come in for a job. So the fact that he lives in Manhattan and goes to Connecticut for work, I guess he's missing the traffic. He must be doing something in insurance because Hartford used to be the insurance capital of the country. Like I that's where all the there. insurance companies are? Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of insurance companies are like based, it used to be like a big insurance city. And where do they all go now? I don't know. My insurance company's out of Texas, I think. Well, we'll see what happens because, you know, my niece will be starting at your university soon. I know. Oh my and God, so I can't wait to find know. out the dorm. Oh my gosh. I, I need to find out leaves. immediately. She le- we're in the time machine or whatever we're recording, who knows, but she is leaving like tomorrow for school. But what's, what I like about that university is that they're getting 10 days before classes start. So they ask for them to get there and oh. then um, classes don't start till after Labor Day. Yeah, we did like a week, but 10 days is great. Yeah. Maybe it's just a week. Or but that's maybe nice. That's really nice. Yeah, because you get to like, yeah, you like meet people, you go to parties and stuff, but... Tell her that all the parties during that first week are kind of like weak and then they get better. <laughs> well, yeah, no one knows each other yet. Yeah, but and she's it's not even a freshman party on campus. Yeah. Okay, cute. Yeah, you got to text her and see what dorm she's oh in. Oh my God, I'm like going to text her remember. sister right now. I know. <laughs> so, you know, uh, she's holding an ice pack to her head and lying to Benson about how she just fell. And then she says that she was with the monster. And uh, what did the monster do? Benson asks. And the monster pushed her and told her to shut up. And Benson nods. And then we just have credit time. So, you know, there's a lot going on. They're giving us a lot. And we don't know who is this monster? And also the monster was used, which is wild, in the episode, what was that one called? Intent with yes. Kevin from Shameless. So both the Shameless episodes oh. are calling characters monster. So that's something that I just realized right here in the moment, live. That's why you guys come here for this podcast. That's what you pay the big bucks for, this yeah. kind of knowledge. <laughs> So the mom is like, what the fuck? Why are the police here? We are good parents. We live on the Upper West Side. And Amaro's like, LOL. (laughs) Okay, so tell us about your morning. And she recaps the morning and Benson is interrupting. And the mom is like, what happened? And she's like, why don't you tell us? And the mom is like, you know, I don't really know. I left. And Amaro asks why nobody wanted the nanny to take them to school and if there's any issues with the nanny. And the mom explains she is a new nanny and the kids just want their mom. It's But also she is illegal and does have communication issues. I fucking told you. She's here for a visa, baby. She's not, you know, learning English on her spare time. And so they're like, we need to talk to her. Uh, But she works for another family in the building during the day while these kids are at school. Then we find out Ruby, um, the daughter, she is having a lot of accidents, you know, pee situations. And we know from watching SVU, if you pee a lot, you are being molested. So she, um, but the mom is crazy and the mom goes, okay, but we're just going to take her to piano lessons and Henry has swim. And Benson's like, um, you cannot take her to piano classes. She is clearly injured. She's clearly abused and traumatized. She doesn't have to fucking play piano today. I just hate these parents and it's really hard for me to have sympathy for them for this whole episode. Um, but whatever. Oh, the, so, I hate the dad a lot. Oh, the dad is infuriating. I, the infuriating. So then um, Benson, of course, is like, 
cancel the lesson and someone needs to bring Henry here. So we're back with the feather earring illegal nanny and Rollins is asking her question while a baby sits in a chair trap toy. What are those called? I call it an office. Wait, you mean like where they (laughs) stand up and they play? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, the kids are in the office. (laughs) (laughs) Doing their paperwork. (laughs) Yeah. Irina says that Ruby just fell down the stairs and she thought everything was fine. And they're like, wait, come again. And she's like, listen, the mom went to shower. Milk was spilled. I sent Ruby to get new tights. And while I went to the laundry room, I heard her crying. And they're like, so you didn't see her fall halfway down the stairs or anything? She goes, no. But then they're questioning why she didn't tell the mother. And she goes, I don't know. She said she was fine. Like, why am I going to involve this shitty mom in? to all of this. So they, uh, so Rollins asks her where Henry was during all of this. And they say that he was just sitting, eating waffles, smiling. And you shouldn't be smiling on your own. That's, unless you see a cute puppy. You, if you're just sitting, eating a waffle, smiling. No independent smiling. No. No. No, 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 no. Something's wrong. I actually, I was sitting out on a patio yesterday and these two dogs came up and I go, oh, we're about to, these are such cute little Pomeranians. And it's like she knew. She came up to us and did a little show. It's like so cool when you know that the puppy knows about its power. And then when the puppy walked away, it turned its head to be like, bye girls. Like it was a supermodel. (laughs) Anyways, the mom walks in panicked, like, oh my God, what is going on? Why are the cops here? And this is um, the mom of this other child that she's babysitting in the building. And her apartment seems way shittier than the other family. So I think um, Henry and Ruby's parents are in the penthouse and then everyone else is just in like shitty apartments. It's so much different, total different tax brackets. And Finn and Rollins, and and of course, you know, if I could live in an apartment like that in New York City, I would love it, but yeah, not. It's just very stark difference, I would say. Finn and Rollins introduce themselves, and the mom grabs her baby and is like, "What the fuck?" And they're just like, "This is just a routine matter." But the mom turns and glares at their illegal nanny, and you know the nanny is squirming uncomfortably. She'd like to stay in the country. And we're at the corkboard hour at the precinct, and the photos of the family are up on it, and they're just having a little brainstorming meeting. Um, there's severe bruising and a cracked rib and a monster. So those are the clues, and the records show a bunch of old bruises, fractures, four ER visits in the last year. That's a concussion, a finger pinched in a door, and two skull burns. I don't even know what a skull burn is. That doesn't sound good. And then what do we know about the family? Daddy Cragen asks, and we have Amara with all the scoop. She's a VP at AMX. Hello, baby. I'm a customer. And he's a systems engineer with Amtrak. Okay, so I don't know what he was doing in fucking Hartford then. No, but he's a systems engineer. Maybe there was like, um, he had to yeah. fix a train or something. Yeah. And I would like to say, <laughs> this might be disgusting, but I love an Amtrak hot dog. I really oh, do. Oh, interesting. If I get to have an Amtrak hot dog, I'm in a good mood. Like, I really, <laughs> I really enjoy that. And it is gross. They, they, you know that they're steamed and they're a little wet, but they're perfectly wet in a, in a sick way. So anyways, this couple's been married for 14 years and Henry is 10 years old. Irina's from Soviet Georgia. What up, bitch? And she's been working for them for five months. um, And that only accounts for one of the ER visits. So that evidence bodes well for her. Like these injuries have been happening way before her. And And the other mother- And what's happening with like, why is Irina, does she split with another family? Yeah, because these kids go to school. And I think when the kids go to school, she goes to this other family during the day with the baby. Okay. And then picks the kids up. So it's like a perfect kind of. Okay. Because when I was watching it, I was like, wait, why is there another mom? Like, okay. So I got it. 
Yeah. Is that so shocking to you? No. You I just okay. didn't figure it out and was like, wanted confirmation. <laughs> You're a fucking idiot. Okay. Um, <laughs> but so yeah, this other mom who's kind of poor has no issues with her. But also I am curious at everyone's job. I don't know. I love everything. Um, <laughs> I want to know everything about everybody. Cragen wants to talk to, you know, because I used to babysit in these areas. I babysat oh, yeah. for a lot of Columbia professors. So I'm really, I'm on a Irina's side in all of this. I, I used to do, I used to also, I was a babysitter on the Upper West, Upper East, all over. Yeah. Oh God. The professor's apartments were so long and gorgeous and wooden and sexy. And their kids were all like, I remember these two kids did a break dance competition in front of me. And I'm like, wow, you guys have no shame. Like, you know, <laughs> you're really loved in this household. Like, well, think of Luanda Lesseps, whose whose son breakdanced on national television, and they kept it what in. A teacher, who had a teacher, <laughs> who had a teacher, yeah, a breakdancing right. teacher. <laughs> you're totally right. I just like loved. I loved these kids. The dad was an author, and I read his books, and they were good. Like it did feel cool doing the professor's kids. Ooh. And then the other Upper West Side story I have. It was like a smaller apartment, a new family, but they were. Um, Orthodox Jews, but it's not like they could tell me, you're watching Jews today, you know, as a backup nanny. So I had yeah. randoms. And so I brought shrimp fried rice as my lunch and they made me eat it outside in the hallway. So that's... Um, oh my God. Yeah. So it's like, why don't you give me a heads up if it's a kosher home? But also the chances of me bringing shrimp into this kosher home was pretty fucked up too. Um, but I babysat the on the Upper West Side for a very well-known director's daughter for her children. And their apartment was just a full floor overlooking Central Park. Just the elevator opens, full floor, like huge, beautiful apartment. They were, they were cool. And she didn't work. She was just like, my grandfather, my father is this massive director. I'll tell you off who it is, but. Okay, back to the episode, back to the episode. Our babysitting memories are done. Um, no, JK. I also babysat for a family up there. Um, she taught music and piano at Columbia. Oh, God. Ooh. I know, but it's cool because the professors get those apartments. Yeah. Like the, the college gives gorgeous. it to them. Yeah. I just think that's so cool. Yeah, my aunt used to rent one of her apartments on the Upper West to uh, Columbia because they, they will pay anything for professors. It's so badass. Cragen wants to talk to the older brother, Henry. So they're like, let's talk to Henry and see what's up. Let's talk to neighbors, teachers, doormen. Like, we need to find out who this monster is and who's hurting little Ruby. So we're at the Child Advocacy Center where Henry is explaining what happened. He was just eating... A he was just eating olives. No, waffles. He's a child. It's breakfast. He was eating waffles and just before he heard Ruby yell. They ask where Irina was and he looks down and says he doesn't think he should talk about it. And he says he went to the living room after he heard his sister yell and saw Irina at the top of the stairs and Irina was trying to get Ruby's tights on and Ruby was cranky and he pauses and keeps looking down and Benson's like, come on, you can tell us. And he said that Irina made her mad face and then pushed her down the stairs. Ernest, you pushed me down the stairs. Okay, that's just her. <laughs> Some death becomes her stands. Um, Amaro is like, I really, really want to do live shows where we just watch other movies and we do Mystery Science 3000 Theater. Would you guys um, come? Would you guys come instead of us recapping SVU? Would you watch us um, recap movies 
I don't know. You know what's funny is I was just listening to Bitch Sesh. I don't really listen anymore because they moved behind a paywall, but they released an episode where they talked about how the night before they had wanted to just watch a bunch of scenes of Beverly Hills, like the dinner party from hell with the psychic, like all this stuff. And they were four minutes into it and they kept getting shut down because they were streaming through YouTube and YouTube could tell that they were showing copyrighted content. And I was like, oh my God, we wanted to do that originally for our live shows. And we like someone was like, that's too too hard with copyright stuff, but it would be fun. Us watching uh well, because I used to do that. There used to be a show in Chicago called Once Upon a Lifetime. Yeah, and we would like watch those movies. I watched the one with Tori Spelling that was a cheerleader and or a killer or dead, or she was the murderer. Wait, Who knows? the one where that's called Mother May I Sleep with Danger? Is that it? But she was it's a like, cheerleader in it, right? Well, there's I, I don't know, I don't remember, but there's one where she has like a boyfriend who's like uh, just increasingly becomes like abusive and the mom is like, something's up with him. And she's like, mom, shut up. You just won't let me be in love. And like, it should, like the guy is psycho and like tries to kill her. Oh my God. If um, I can't have you, no one can. You know, the yush. Classic. Amaro's like, you sure it wasn't an accident? And he goes, no, because Irina told Ruby to shut up and pushed her. And he says, saying shut up is not nice. And then he ran back to the table and Irina came in and got ice. And she's like, please. And he goes, please don't tell my mom. My dad gets mad every time we have to change nannies. And Pippa Cox is there. Hello, friend of the pod. Hi, Pips. <laughs> so Cragen and her are watching the conversation and they believe that um, this is credible, this boy is credible and we need to go get Irina. And we don't need another bad nanny headline is what Pippa says. We go to the residence of Adam Burke, who's also a comedian in Chicago that I know, but um, hopefully not the same. And he's holding <laughs> oh, a fluffy- I know Adam too, yeah. <laughs> and he's holding a fluffy little dog and his son Toby plays with Henry and the nanny walks him down. Um, and then- but when they ask about the nanny, he goes, which one? They go through so many nannies. And at this point, little Toby walks into frame to complain about his Xbox not working. And the dad asks Toby if he knows the nanny's name. And he goes, yeah, Irina, she's always texting. We hate her. <laughs> and it's like, okay. And then upstairs- Do you want your nanny to fucking text and not bother you? Like, let you go do whatever and like just text? No, 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 no. She is on her phone all day and not watching the children. Right, but if you're the kid- Oh, yes. I thought you meant the yeah. parents. I'm like, no, she's not texting them. No, no. If um, you're like a kid, aren't you just like, yeah, my nanny's fucking texting. Who cares? I don't know. Because some, well, this episode is called Born Psychopath. But <laughs> I babysat for boy, like if the boy, if the kids want attention from you, but also yeah. some kids are just tattletales and love rules. Like, mm. I think we know a kid that would tell. I think we know a kid who would not be happy if their babysitter was on a cell phone. For sure. You know what I mean? It'd be like, I mean, I had a kid once say, my mom says you eat too many bananas and you don't work hard enough. Oh, yes. You've told me that. (laughs) And it's like, I'm watching your kids. I can't have one of your bananas. You're a piece of shit. They're 20 cents. (laughs) (laughs) Like, let me fucking have a banana. Your kid sucks. Okay, so... Upstairs. Is that merch? <laughs> but I mean, if I've already said this story on the pod, who cares? Um, no, like the, these kids, these two boys, they were assigned chores and I w- never grew up with chores. Like I think kids should just be free. So I would volunteer. I was like, you guys go play, go have fun. I'll put the dishes away. And the older kid would go, no, that is my brother's chore. You can't do it. Like he would get mad that I was doing their chores. You know, wow. or if I said, let's play outside or you could do, they're like, we have to do our homework. Like they loved rules. It was weird. And they wouldn't share. They would sell toys to each other. And once you sold your toy to your sibling, you couldn't play with it anymore. 
These were fucked up. This was a Jesus, fucked up family. That's a capitalist society. That's a capitalist household. Oh yeah, and they're like, you kid burn it. <laughs> this kid begged for a guitar, got a guitar, and then when he would get in trouble, they would take the guitar away from him. And it's like, that's stupid. Like, that's an art you have to practice. Like, you need to teach a kid how to practice the guitar. You know? Yeah. You don't take it away from. I just hated them. And at the end, the boy said, you're the worst babysitter we've ever had at the end of the school year. And I said, you're the worst kids I've ever babysat. And he was taken aback. And I go, yeah, I did not enjoy you guys at all. You suck. Bye. Bye. School's done. Have fun with your fucked up parents in this fucked up apartment. And like, they wouldn't even want to play outside. They'd be like, we're dehydrated. I'm like, you're disgusting. You're the future. Play outside. And how old are those kids now? Probably like 18. Yeah, they're definitely probably grown. Yeah, I wonder where they are. Like I babysat kids in New York that are like fully in college now. Like it's crazy. I mean, there's a couple kids where I really loved them and I wish I knew where they were. But these kids, I'm like, you're you're probably, I can't, they're probably kids who are who don't believe in free lunch at school. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Why should my family have to pay for your bad lifestyle? Yeah. Like, I, I can't. But you can always tell, like, I rarely had a kid that was shitty and I was like, your parents rule. You know, like, I would, if I had a kid that was like, had a behavior problem, it's because like their mom or their dad was like oozing like neuroses and was like so high strung or like something was up with the parents. You know, like, I could always... In my in my experience, absolutely. Um, like you could tell. No, it is really wild to be in people's homes and they're just trusting you, and it's like you don't even know me. It's yeah. wild. I'm with your five year old or four month old. <laughs> like what? Because <laughs> I, 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 yeah, whatever. So I know uh, I met I babysat for this little girl who I loved so much, and sh- her family was great. Her parents were great, but I met them at a Starbucks, and they were just like they just like. Let me pick up the baby. She was like nine months old. And they were just like, yeah, we can just tell the way you are with her, like that you're good. So when can you start? And we were like, okay. I was like, okay, great. Like, let's go. They found me on Craigslist. Like I got laid off of a job and I just put myself on Craigslist and said, I'm a fucking summer camp counselor with, with, uh, with CPR training. And I'm one of six kids and like, come get me or whatever. And that's how I found them. And I met them at a Starbucks, picked up their baby and they were like, this is it. Wait, Kara, did you hear about the case, I think, in the UK where a nurse was killing babies? My, my, um, my, um, Jared just told me about that. I haven't looked into it, but he said like- Horrifying. It's like the nurse of death, but for killing babies. Like a neonatal nurse. What, what, why? Yeah. I mean, when, when it was Jane, Jane Krakowski doing it, we knew it was because her mother, uh, you know, was never there for her, but- Yes, but when we, like, when it's older- yeah. When it's just, not that humans are worth less than babies. Like, <laughs> we're all important. But the baby thing makes it sicker. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, I, you know, we covered a case where it was a VFW hospital, which is upsetting, of course. But you're murdering babies and just thinking about these parents. It's just, it's really upsetting. Horrible. Oh, my God. Do you know what I Googled last night? Just because I was, I was watching this episode and I was thinking of nannies and like kids. Do you remember, were you in New York in 2012? No, that was way before your time, right? A few years before? Yeah. This nanny killed these two kids like five blocks from where I lived, like on the Upper West Side. I remember talking to Michelle Collins about it. We were like, 
beside ourselves. Like it like shook the city because it was like this nanny just went fucking crazy and killed like a two-year-old and a six-year-old that she took care of. And the mom just came home and found with the third kid and found her two kids like killed by the nanny. I mean, the woman is in life for in life in prison, but she tried to say that she heard voices and was having like a psychotic break. And then other psychiatrists were on the stand saying, no, she didn't. Like she was upset about her workload and her work schedule, very much like Irina. And she like went off, but it's just, ugh, it's like the most horrible. Well, I get, I don't know where this is, but while I was talking about this baby murder case, there was also like, a woman who kept asking for a C-section and they wouldn't give it to her and they decapitated her baby and they wouldn't tell them for four days. For four days, this couple didn't know their baby died. The doctors killed, decapitated their child and did not tell the parents for four days. <sighs> what the fuck? So horrible. And I bet all these doctors, nothing will happen to them. All these, nothing will happen to them. Yeah, and they showed them the baby in a way that like didn't show that the baby was to cat. Like, I think they like, showed them the baby to be like, okay, here's the baby. It's It didn't make it, but like didn't show them that the baby was like decapitated, like horrible. And like she was begging for a c They wouldn't give it to her. You killed their fucking baby. Like I just, uh, this is, uh, this episode's hard enough and I don't know why I keep bringing up all these baby murderers, but like go fuck, fuck these doctors. And I want to, I want to keep close um, tabs on that case to yeah. find out what happens. Cause I, these doctors are so protected. They're so protected. Yeah. We've covered the cases about the molestation and the boards and that they just, it's really upsetting. Listen, we got to get back to this episode. I'm so sorry. All these dead yeah. baby asides. We're doing okay. a lot of asides. We are, but we haven't seen each other in a really long time. I know. So it's kind of- You're just going to get a jumbo hard. one this week, guys. Sorry <laughs> yeah. about it. Um, upstairs, Benson is going through Ruby's room and finds the milk tights drying. And the mom is like, fuck, this is a nightmare. She had references in everything. And it's like, are, is anyone using references or are you all giving your best friend's phone number? I've never used a real reference in my goddamn life. Literally, two <laughs> minutes ago, when we took a minute break on this podcast, I texted a girl I've never met and said, are you free Saturday to watch my kids? Because, <laughs> <laughs> because she, I got her from a, a trusted babysitter. She's a friend of hers. So I'm like, where are you going on Saturday? I don't know. I just wanted to get a babysitter and do something. Nice. Let's do something. Exciting. <laughs> um, so did you, uh, so Benson asked if she knew any of the references and I thought about you immediately. She goes, nope, I found it on the mom groups on the internet. I thought so. about myself immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Benson's like, okay, well, can we get a hold of these people? So now we have the dad and he's um, talking upstairs with Amaro and he's going through a different room in the house, buzz, buzz. And daddy goes to answer the cell phone and Amaro sees something that catches his eye and it's a little baby lock and then a brown box covered with rubber bands. And inside of it is a little bad boy kit, you know, a box of matches, but the red part and the stick part are separated and the red part's in a separate Altoid looking box. This is not good. I guess separating match pieces is a red flag. And Irina's in a cell bar cement room and she is stressed out and Finn is going at her while Rotland's pace is behind her. And she's gripping her hair like, what the fuck? And she's denying all of it. And she's saying, and like, I was in the laundry room. They go, Henry said that he saw you push. Ruby down the stairs. And she goes, he said that to you? He is a mean little boy. Ruby calls him the monster. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, so now the monster thing is coming back. And Ruby's playing um, a keyboard right above the stairs. And this house looks so dangerous. So it's like glass banister vibe. And this house is not kid-proof at all. 
I a picture just was circulating about Carol of Carol Radziwill's apartment in New York yeah. that was just stairs coming out of the wall with no banister at all. And that was like, Carol was wild for this one. It was reminding me. So crazy. So wild. I want to be fully protected on any stairs. I want full protection walls. I want to be caved in. I want it yeah. soft. Like I make it a fully not... enclosed slide that I can just go down. <laughs> like... Yeah. I don't need fashion stairs. I don't need highly architectured stairs. I don't need glass. I don't, I, it's really bonkers to me, especially with kids. Um, but Henry's watching her play the keyboard and um he's playing video game, like a handheld video game thing. And the mom is which I'm thinking of getting. I want to get a Twitch. A Switch? I want to get Switch. a Switch. I heard you can play, you know, like Mario on the plane. Oh, yeah. The mom is downstairs looking up, telling them it's almost bedtime. And Amara walks in to join the mom and Benson and asks what games Henry and Ruby play together. Like Monster? And the mom goes, oh, yeah, sometimes. And then he pushes, does he resent his little sister? And she's like, oh, big time. Even the school said something. Um, but she asked if Henry did this and he said no when he cried and he blamed Irina. And Benson goes, but isn't your son a liar? Like all of the other injuries, he was home, wasn't he? And she's breathing more rushed and starts blabbering about the finger in the door incident. And Henry was in his room smiling just like he was at the kitchen table. So Benson slowly goes, is it possible that Henry pushed her down the stairs? And the mom goes, oh God. I mean, even if he did, he didn't mean to. He's just having a hard time, you know? Like he doesn't remember that he can actually hurt people. And they look up and he's staring at them through the glass looking like psycho as fucking hell. And it is funny. It reminds me of um, Bart Simpson in the episode with the pool. I don't remember what it's called, but it is... I think it's the season premiere of season six. Okay, so now we got to... <laughs> But I don't. Oh but I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure. But there's like a weird uh, pool. <laughs> Whatever. Bart looks creepy. So now we got to talk to him with a parent present, and he's a great little actor. He looks crazed as hell, but not answering Amaro. And the mom is like, "Just tell him what happened with Ruby." And he's like, "You think I'm a liar?" And Amaro looks stunned and sighs and goes, "Well, maybe you were scared you'd get in trouble, but and but we know that you lied." And her Henry clocks the camera, goes, "Oh, you're." recording this? And they go, yeah, for sure. So you don't have to answer the same questions again and again. And he says that she stopped crying and it didn't hurt her. So what's the big deal? Yeah, I pushed her down the stairs. She was fine. And his reasoning is she stopped crying when Irina came over. So it must have not hurt that much. And then we hear little Ruby's voice said, Henry spilled my milk and blamed me. And over his sociopath face, we follow the voice to a more cozy room where Benson is with Rollins and the dad. And she continues that Irina sent her upstairs to change her tights. When she came back, he was hiding and popped out, screamed boo really loud and then pushed her. And the dad is like, well, maybe he was just playing monster. And Ruby's like, nah, motherfucker, because this time he had his arm out and it was like in her face. So he like pushed her using her face and it cuts to Henry and he's like, whatever, it wasn't that hard. It was just a jostle. And it's like, what child knows the word jostle? I'm <laughs> just sorry. A jostle. That's, like that's not a chill word. Um, Amaro's like, why did you jostle at her? Cause you were mad at Ruby. He goes, no, I just don't like her. In fact, I hate her. And the mom is like, Henry, don't say that. And he's like, what? You want me to lie? And he says, I wasn't mad. It was an experiment. I wanted to see if she would roll all the way down or stop. And she did. She rolled most of the way head over legs on an angle. So she hit the landing and stopped. And Amaro and the mom make eye contact like, ee -ee. and Benson asks Ruby if he's hurt her before. And that is a yes. 
Ruby then wants to stop the conversation because she doesn't want him to be in trouble. So she really loves her brother, and that is cute, but he is crazy. Um, she also has a red little plastic bow headband that I am jealous of. And then the giraffe behind her in this giant, like, state-funded room. It's like the giraffe from FAO Schwartz. How did the department afford that? <laughs> it, was it a toy drive? That is an expensive giraffe. I, I know that giraffe. Benson eye makeup also looks incredible. So Ruby and Amaro go to play with puzzles, and Benson and the dad turn to talk. And he says, the school guidance counselor told the parents to leave the kids alone and let them handle it on their own and not, not intervene because that means they would re be rewarding Henry with attention for being bad. So yeah, I guess keep letting him beat the shit out of your fucking daughter. Benson explains, your kid is full of rage. So the dad says, I was full of rage as well, but then I got into trains and I was fine. And Henry just needs to find his thing. And it's like, he did find his thing and it's hurting your daughter. <laughs> so we head to the school, hopefully to try and, you know, fire this guidance counselor who gave the advice to ignore it. Um, she's a redhead with glasses with a patterned collar shirt and a vest. And she's like, like, she looks like she loves a Renaissance fair. You know what I mean? <laughs> So she's like, oh, Henry definitely has issues. But she goes, it's not really straight cut. It's not OCD. It's not oppositional defiant disorder. It's not ADD. And Rollins goes, are you a psychologist? She is not. She's in school to be one, but she does have a master's. Not good enough. And it's a school that's open-minded, hippy-dippy vibes. And Finn and Rollins are just not into it. They ask how Henry is doing in school. And she thinks some days, like, we turn a corner, but then he'll always just kind of throw a desk the next day. Um, but she says that he's really smart and he's just testing us. Rollins slowly approaches closer and then sits down and leans very in and goes, okay, well, have you had him tested like by a professional? And she says that the parents are worried about him being labeled. He is physically abusing your daughter. Yeah. This is like the Upper West Side Duggar family. Like you cannot ignore your son's issues because you're scared of for his future when he is physically assaulting your daughter. Like, I and just, I wonder if they would think the same if it was an older daughter abusing a younger boy. I wonder if it's like gendered a little bit too. Like, oh, he's just being a boy, you know. Like, let him let him do his thing. They're just fighting like siblings. No, I mean not to get too like, but yes, this is it. We we always prioritize men's feelings, men's futures, men's career, men's reputation over the true safety of children, women, girls uh, all the time. Like, it, it's really appalling. And this episode does such a great job of making me flip out with anger. But the school's only till fifth grade and middle schools are so competitive. So they don't want um, him to be labeled with issues and not get into middle school. So they're just going to let him throw their daughter down the stairs so Henry can get into a good school. <laughs> Rollins asks about the meds and what meds. And they're like, we've tried all the meds. We can't find the right convo. And Finn asks if he has hurt kids in school. And she goes, yeah, of course. But he knows it's unacceptable. He is so smart. He's just bored. And they just keep finding loopholes for him. But he is violent. So now we have Pippa, who's always on the wrong side of history, no matter how much we love her. So she says, if this kid is that bad, there would be a paper trail. And there's not a paper trail. So there's nothing we can do. And Finn goes, oh, trust. If he lived in the projects, there would be a fucking, you know, he'd be in the system by now. Also, Rollins is the is the daughter's hospital record not a paper trail? Like, shh, doesn't she have a bunch of ER visits? Like, that's a paper trail. 
Amazing point, Kara. And so Rollins jumps in and she goes, oh, he has his guidance counselor snowed. And they're not testing him and just playing around with meds. And Amaro defends the parents for not doing anything. He's like, I mean, a diagnosis stays on your record. And Benson goes, whatever. I mean, Henry needs help. So we need to figure out a way to get him help. Pippa is like, okay, when you were there, how was it? Any signs of neglect, abuse? And they say no because there's organic food and the son gets attention. So Pippa goes, great. So the home is the best place for Henry. And Benson's not having it. She's like, because the home is neat, we should all pretend this was an accident. She acts out um, the straight arm move to Pippa and yells, Ruby said he straight armed her. And she's like, what, we're going to pick up every big brother that hurts his sister? Yes. How about that? How about we finally protect young girls for once in their goddamn like history of the world? <laughs> He's 10, she's five. I'm sure, you know, the we're gonna get three different versions of events. Like it is wild. I think we just love the actress so much and we love Jessica, but Pippa does suck. Well, she's always on the wrong side. I think Pippa grows a little bit like later. She's just right? such she's like a defense attorney working for the state. It's weird. Yeah, well, somebody has to go against the the the, the squad, right? So that's like what her, but yeah. But isn't it about good. protect? But I just don't understand why it's not about protecting Ruby and why it's protecting Henry. Oh, for sure, for sure. Just in like the show realm, I feel like her role is usually to be like, well, I don't know about that. And then they have to like go against her, you know? Uh, yeah, she's like the B.D. Wong, but opposite. So <laughs> Daddy Greg Cragen walks in to stop the cat fight. And he's like, Pippa, so we can't charge the kid. And she says, I'm not going to. And if you think a juvenile detention facility will help turn things around. And before she can finish, Finn interrupts and is like, okay, they don't want him to have a record. But what if we tell them that the DA might let this slide? if Henry sees a shrink. And Pippa is down for that, and Benson nods as well. So that's what we're going to do. But Amaro has to run to go to the hockey game. He arrives at the home of his son's mother, and she's like, shut up. You agreed to be Uncle Nick, my brother's friend. Deal with it. He's like, I know, but I hate lying to him, and he has a half-sister, and I want him to know her. And she's like, what, you want to just pop out of nowhere and tell him? It's too much. And how will he, like, how do we know you're not going to disappear again? And he goes, I'm not going anywhere. And then we have little Gil run down. He's in a jersey. He's so cute. He's like so excited to go to the game. Uh, thanks for that storyline. We could care less. And now we're back to the <laughs> Upper West Side. <laughs> and the dad is pissed and is like a psychiatrist. Hell no. He doesn't want his kid to turn into a drug addicted robot. He'd rather him be a full blown serial killer. And then the wife is like, yeah, he gained weight. So we just don't want him on any medication. <laughs> it's like your daughter had a broken finger. They're like, he was just puffy and blank. So we just don't want to do that. And he's like, you don't know him and we do. So you need to leave. And the mom says, we have all the books on defiant kids. Benson now speaks very slowly. And Rollins walks away because she is too stressed by these people. And Benson has to slowly and exaggeratedly let them know, your daughter is not safe. They're like, don't worry, we locked up all the knives and he'll never be alone with Ruby again. And Benson asks, like, how can you be sure? And the mom says she took a leave of absence for work and she will be present. Rollins goes, okay, well, I don't think the DA is going to let this slide then. And they're all like, well, she'll have to because my friend's a lawyer and said, if you bring up charges, we're going to sue the city for free. And he's so smug. And Benson goes, you don't understand. 
And he goes, oh, I know. And the mom is like, we will take care of him. So the mom enters Henry's room and he asks, are they gone yet? And she says, yes. And he says, I never want to see the cops here again. And she goes, well, that's all up to you, Henry. Don't be a little socio and then the cops won't be here. Um, Your behavior sucks. Just use your words. And he says, I'm sorry, mommy. And she's like, I know my little innocent baby. Why don't you just go to sleep? He says, I'm not tired. He is saying he doesn't want to go to bed. And classic mom is like, well, you have to go to bed. So Henry takes a knife from out from under his pillow and says, no. And the mom is stern and says, give me back the knife right now and puts her hand out. He cuts her hand and she deserves it. And I don't feel bad for you. (laughs) So the mom is bleeding and she takes the knife and runs off. And Henry's face gives no emotions. So she's at the hospital with her hand wrapped. Benson runs in. The mom goes, it's my fault. I reached for the knife. Benson says, how did you even get here? This is not a police matter. And she's like, well, your neighbor's called. Really involved neighbors. This is a whole, it looked like a penthouse. I don't even know how the neighbors, it was a really quiet cut. Like, I don't, that, this is a plot hole for me. So she keeps saying she's fine and Henry's upset he did it and she's still being delusional. Rollins and uh, Daddy and Henry are in the kitchen and the dad is not feeling so smug anymore, are ya? So they ask where he got the knife and he's like, Dad, I know where you keep the key. Like, duh, I'm an evil mastermind. He then plays it like he's the victim and nobody listens to him and no one ever does what he wants. And Rollins says, I'm listening to you, Henry. And Henry um, goes, it was her fault. The dad finally flips out on and it's full rage. And he goes, you were angry. You wanted to hurt her. Stop lying. He says, no, it was her fault. And the dad is in like in his face, screaming at the son. He starts yelling back. The the dad grips him and holds him. And Ruby walks in and goes, where's mommy? And Rollins is like, hey, why don't you go tuck your daughter back into bed and I'll stay here with your little demon son. And the dad is worried and Rollins goes, don't worry, I mean, I am a cop and I do have a gun. So she turns to him and asks if he wants to talk. And, you know, baby Henry, he just wants one thing. Can I hold your gun? And she goes, do you think that's a good idea? And he says, I've never held a gun before. And then, classic, you're really pretty. He stands up, walks to the fridge to get strawberries. And Rollins is sickened by this kid. And he eats the strawberries really slowly and creepily. And the mom is now spilling to Benson. I thought I could help him. And if I loved him and hugged him enough, he would like me. But he's not. And he's getting worse. And he's so broken. And I can't fix him. And I tell him I love him. But he never says I love you back. And Benson's like, well, we can help your family and get Henry evaluated and give him treatment options. And the mom says, most days I just feel like I'm in combat. And it's like, you could have admitted this days ago. Yeah. She says that he tells her, mommy, you hate me. And she does hate him at times. And she feels bad that she hates her own son. And finally, we get B.D. Wong flew in from Oklahoma. So a that's bit an of original a long- song. A little bit of a long hair. That song is copywritten. Please don't sing that on the podcast. Um, (laughs) He's got like sort of long hair, doesn't he? Yeah, he reminds me of um, Old Country for No Old Men. That haircut with Javier (laughs) Bardem. Old Country for Old Men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did I say? Old Country for Old Men, I think. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Good movie. Good movie. Um, 
But so, we, yeah, so B.D. Wong's here and he's, you know, he's walking in to talk to Henry and they're sitting at a tiny table. They're going to chat. Wong brings a bin of action figures, asks who his favorite is. And Henry loves all the villains and he loves how they kill everybody. And he is a violent killer, but he's also playing with toys and that's kind of wild, you know? Yeah. So he starts like playing with the action figures, which mostly looks like him banging them together. And Wong is kind of off put by it. And then Henry goes, well, now he's dead. He can't do anything and I don't like him anymore. And Wong goes from dislike to, oh, this boy is sick as fuck. And he is now talking to the squad. And and he says, I feel conflicted. Labeling a 10-year-old a psychopath, but he said he's only had a chill like that twice in his life. And that was with death row serial killers. And now with this little kid. And he doesn't have any emotions. He does not recognize them in other people. He has no empathy and he's very manipulative. And you only see this with um, kids that come from abuse or neglect. But... He's just wired wrong. So there's a place in Vermont. Okay, Kara. Hi. We're going to be in Vermont soon. Okay, so that... (laughs) So that serve... I just can't wait. I want to have a maple creamy. And I want to take a walk on the lake. And I can't wait to walk that strip. I just love Vermont so much. Burlington is the best. Church Street, baby. We're going to be there. I know. I just... It made me love maple because now I love maple donuts and everything. Oh my God, how cute. So my parents had their wedding anniversary and I postmated them or Seamless or whatever. Who cares? None of them are giving us money. I used the food delivery app to send <laughs> them Molly's cupcakes, which are center-filled delicious cupcakes. Ooh. And then not knowing, my sister sent them pizza, sushi, and coconut shrimp. Like their favorite things. So I just love that the two sisters gave them savory and sweet. And like knowing. a full, yeah, a full smorgasbord. I love that. Because you know, my dad wasn't going to do anything romantic. So I sent my mom Jenny's ice cream for her birthday, like six pints. And she texted me and was like, they're gone after like a couple of days. <laughs> they plowed through them. I don't even know if I've had Jenny's, but I know it's like the sexy, expensive one. It's so really I would like good. to try it. Oh my yeah, gosh. I've tried Van Leeuwen, but I've never tried Jenny's. Guess so. what? There's a Van Leeuwen moving into my hometown. Our little strip of stores on the main strip. We used to never have any chains. Dunkin' Donuts was the only chain we had. And now, Van Leeuwen. Van Leeuwen, baby. But now we have J. Crew, we have Polo, Ralph Lauren. We have tons of chains. The whole place is chains now. Um, but go I love on. that you said Lauren. <laughs> oh, Ralph Lauren. <laughs> you really jazzed him up. <laughs> Is he a Jew or is Armani a Jew? I forgot. One of them is Jewish, though. I think Ralph Lauren might be Jewish. I don't think Armani is Yeah, Jew- you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ralph Lauren. Ralph Lauren. B.D. Wong's just telling us that there is a place that services kids with this kind of diagnosis. And Wong is willing to talk to the parents about the program. And if they're against it, he just advises that they should get a safe room. So now we have Wong, Amaro, and Benson at this nice-ass penthouse apartment. And the dad is annoyed. We already let you talk to him. Leave us alone. And it's like, he cut your wife with a knife. I don't understand this dad. I really don't. I'm trying to understand and I cannot understand. But I think that's kind of what they're setting up that like, I mean, I'm going to get into it in the real crime, but like there's kind of, there. if there's not a abuse factor, then there's usually some kind of hereditary factor. And the fact that the dad like readily is like, oh yeah, I was filled with rage as a kid also. And the mom says it too. The mom's like, oh yeah, so was my husband. Like they were both rage, little rage children, you know, like- I think they're setting it up that maybe the husband's not a full psychopath, but that his anger problems have sort of maybe engendered this in the child. But I don't know. You know what I say? Lock his ass up too. Yeah. 
So he's blaming them for his kid being worse. And the mom says, don't blame them. And the dad has some humanity and is like, I just don't want him to be alone in a cell thinking we abandoned him. And the mom is like, he's not afraid of us leaving him, Tom. Um, He's not afraid of anything. And Wong has to break it down. Like, he will never grow out of this. He will never be cured. And the dad puts his head in his hands and he's really sad. And maybe now I have some sadness for him. But maybe he can learn to control his behavior. And sassy dad comes out again. You mean if he slams his sister's finger in the door, he won't get to play video games? Yeah, we've tried that, sir. Again, smug. So it's like, I, you know, I'm back to hating him. But he makes this face that is a perfect acting choice. I don't know if you caught it, but he does this thing where I just love the way he goes, yeah, we've tried that and nods in this really smug, condescending way. Like a little kid. I just really enjoyed his acting here. And obviously, you just can't deal with all this, dude. And it's like, exactly, dude, none of the things are going to work. You can't be mad when they want to lock him up and also mad when they suggest other options. And we're saying, your kid is a monster, so what do you want? You should have done something to protect your daughter sooner. And Benson says, we're just trying to say that he needs more support than what you are able to provide. And the mom says, this is our mistake. We thought we can handle him, and we can't, and we have to give this a try. Wong walks into the squad before his flight back to Oklahoma with some good news. The Vermont place has a space for him and he can start next week. So they walk him out and then this gives a little time for Finn and Amaro to bond about being fathers. Amaro's annoyed Cynthia won't let him know and but he is the dad and Finn reassures him and says he will have time for that. And Amaro goes, yeah, really? But will I? Gil doesn't have a family and as bad as Henry has it, like he has this amazing family and I didn't have him for nine years. That's a lot of time. Do I have to wait till he's 18? And to me, this is a stretch. This isn't about you. And I don't think Gil is connected to Henry And I don't know. I just, I don't love this. Benson walks in and is on the phone and it's fucking Henry. And he's worried about Ruby because there's a lot of smoke. Done, done. The dad is at work. The mom is locked in the laundry room and Benson starts running. And we see a garbage can with a fire started with papers in it and his little collection of matches. I'm sure we're involved in this. And Ruby's in her room right next to the fire, breathing in the smoke, and he's standing over her and she's coughing and he loves it. The smoke alarm is going crazy as he grins. Amaro's with the fireman and then the doorman put it out as the scoop that we get, but the fire was deliberate and the match heads confirmed that like who did the fire. And then Ruby was tied to the fucking bed and the mom was locked in a room. Ruby's okay, thank goodness, um, but nobody can find Henry. Where the fuck did he go? There, He did not leave on any of the cameras, so he is in the building. So they have to trap him. They got to track him down and he's either in the playroom of the building or he has one friend named Toby. So, and what fucking sparked all this? And they told him about Vermont and he lost it. So that's what started it. There was a huge tantrum. The dad left for a work emergency Emergency. What is a bigger emergency than your sociopathic son flipping out about being sent away to a prison? Yeah. Amtrak. What work emergency? An Amtrak derailment in Delaware? Who cares? So the mom is hysterical, obviously. She stays with Ruby, and as Benson runs to find him, she's like, be careful. Henry just doesn't understand. He does. He does understand. He's a psychopath. (laughs) So this episode shows the delusion and denial of mothering boys. Um, Nobody cares about Ruby here at all. Again, this is the problem of egg. I yeah, like, do you think this mom is just like posting photos of her son setting a fire with like hashtag boy mom? 
<laughs> yeah. My thing is I hate when women are blamed for the actions of men, but then I do hate boy moms that coddle their <laughs> sons and then make rapists out of them. And so, like, I, I just don't know. I don't like blaming mothers or any women for men's mistakes, but it is, like, an issue where these moms are so obsessed with their sons and they're, like, it's— the evidence is he knows what he's doing. Yeah. You don't think he know he's been saving these match heads for a while. Yeah. Um, so whatever. She is this girl, Ruby, has been shoved, slammed, smoked, and it's still poor Henry. Poor Henry. We have this little child skull in an burns. oxygen mask. Skull burns. We don't even know what those are. This girl has skull burns and we're like, is Henry going to be okay? This is a farce. Like, is this a satire? I feel like <laughs> I'm in an alternate universe. Finn and Amanda hit up Toby's place and the dad answers the door and he's like, what the fuck? They're in Toby's room. Who cares? And so Rollins runs and the dad goes, chill out. They're done. If there's no screaming, they're fine. So Finn is like, um, did you not hear the sirens? He goes, yeah, the doorman said everything was under control. Amanda enters Toby's room. Guess what? Nobody's there. We hear him um, in the closet. He is crying. He's tied up with a pillowcase on his head like it's Abu Ghraib. Okay, so he's doing historical torture in the closet of this child's room. And the boy goes, he was hurting Snowball. And so then they go and fuck. They Snowball is drowned in the tub. We do not and see it. There is no, no we just, yeah, but we see the see leash. It. You yeah. see the leash tied to the faucet. The tub is overflowing, and Finn goes, Don't go in there. <laughs> so Toby says that Henry threatened to shoot him with the, his dad's gun. And he goes, No, it's locked in my study in the safe. But Toby knows the con the condo, the combo. Toby knows the combo. He says, I'm sorry. The dad hugs him. So they go to the building play place um, in this room. I used to spend a lot of babysitting days in the community. Totally rooms the as play well. room at the at the luxury building. Oh my God. Yes. And he's holding a kid hostage in a tunnel tube toy and he's holding the kid with the fucking gun. Amaro asks for, thank God he didn't hurt Toby, honestly. Amaro asks for the gun and it's like, yeah, no, Henry's not going to give you a gun. Benson walks in from behind with the gun and I don't think Henry knows. I'm not really sure what's going down. His name is Sam, the little boy. He has developmental delays, Henry says. And I look, the mom's like, he doesn't know what he's doing, but he's like, this kid has developmental dis yeah. delays. Like, I think a kid who won't really up. like, yeah, yell that much. Yeah. And Amaro goes, why don't you just let him go and the big boys can uh, chat? That does not work. And he's just trying to let him, um, like, make him let go of Sam. And they come out of the tunnel. There's a a tunnel play place. And Amaro snatches up Sam, runs him to Benson. Henry points the gun at them and says, you stay, she goes. And he's like, is my mom and dad mad at me? And Amaro says, they're upset, but we don't even know that because the dad had a work emergency. So... You know, your kid's just uh, setting fires to an apartment building and holding a yeah. kid hostage with a gun. But uh, what happened on the Amtrak? So then Henry is like, I mean, I called 911 when the smoke got bad. And Amaro goes, and that was a good job, you little psycho. And he wants Amaro's gun and starts screaming, you promise, you promise, give me the gun. And it's like, you already have a gun. Why do you need another gun? Yeah. So they go back and forth. Amaro is scared. And Henry's like, I wonder what would happen if I shot you a lot of blood? Would your brains come out of your forehead? And Amaro says, fine, here, I'll show you my gun now. He empties the clip and then asks for Henry's gun, but instead, he shoots Amaro. But remember, the bulletproof vest from the cold open. He's protected. Yes. Um, so he pounces, holds Henry down. He yells, I'll kill him, I'll kill him, I'll kill him. And um, Henry has no emotion on his face. 
Should have picked Vermont, idiot. So um, anyways, Amaro is shirtless and wounded at the hospital with Benson standing with him, happy he's alive. The vest is king. Benson is mad um, that the little gun hot potato game that they played, swapping the guns, and Amaro just goes, I wasn't about to shoot a fucking 10-year-old, okay? Um, If he's white. Okay, so Gil and Cynthia run in and they're worried about him and they're happy and he intros them to Benson. It's all very sweet. And so Benson leaves to give them a moment and Cynthia decides, honestly, Gil and you should have a man-to-man talk. And so Benson and Cynthia um, go out for a cup of coffee. Gil and Amaro smile at each other. Now we're back to the parents of the year watching through the glass as Rollins talks to their evil son. He says he never even liked Snowball. He confesses to everything, to tying Snowball, holding her down, putting Toby in a closet after he peed himself, that he tied his sister to the bed to see if she'd melt from the inside out. But because of the smoke, he couldn't see. And Rollins is like, so is that when you called Benson? And he goes, yeah, and this is all her fault. She's the one that wanted to send me away. And the mom can't even listen to this anymore. She And the dad goes, well, what happens now? And Benson and Pippa are there with Cragen and they break it down. Um, Like he tried to kill his sister and he shot a cop. He's not going home. And the mom is still like, but he's only 10 years old. (laughs) I can't, I can't, I can't. (laughs) Pippa explains he will be charged with juvenile delinquency and he will be sentenced to juvenile facility that will be secure as hell. The mom is like, wait, so he's going to be locked away? And I mean, honestly, they need to take Ruby out of the home too. These are unfit parents um, and they should not have any children. They should have been on the child-free train. And I hate them. (laughs) He tried to kill your daughter. Yes, he's going to be locked away. And Benson goes until he's 18, which honestly doesn't seem long enough. The parents cry. She wants to be the one to tell him this info and they let him know um, and you know, he puts on a baby innocent vibe. Like, I don't want to be there. And he's turning the blame on her. And you said yes. And they're like, you shot a cop. And he then pleads with his dad, please don't let them take me away. And he hugs him and they all cry. And the dad says, I love you. And he cries and says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love you. And lets his dad hug him. And then as the dad is cradling him, we see the other side of the hug. And it's Henry, who is not sorry at all. He just looks ahead with his dead evil eyes, no tears. And that's Dick Wolf baby. Oof. Chilling. Chilling. Oh, boy. Chilling. What is not chilling is we are on tour. So please don't forget before these commercial breaks to check out the link on our Instagram and see if we're coming to a city near you. And yeah, That's us. Messed Up Live, baby, has all the... That's Messed Up Live.com has all the tickets, all the venues. Come see us. We're excited to see you all. We're coming to some cities we've never been to before. Salt Lake City, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Burlington. And then we're most nervous for Boston. We are at the Wilbur. It is an iconic giant venue and we need you to bring your cousins. Yeah. Bring like anybody, honestly. Bring the cousins from Southie, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Bring Mark Wahlberg and then say hi to your mother for me. All right. (laughs) We'll be right back. We're going to get into the true crime.
Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Okay, we're back. So. Yeah, obviously true crime is a is a weird. It's like it's like a true story kind of. Like this case is loosely based on the Beth Thomas case, which is not really even a case. It's um, in 1990, uh, a producer named Gabby Monet made a short documentary piece called Child of Rage, A Story of Abuse, which is the story of Beth Thomas. It was on HBO. It was part of the America Undercover series that they did at the time. So in this, it's like a 30-minute doc, right? So in this piece, a therapist named Ken Maggid interviews Beth, who at the time is six and a half years old. It is so sad and dark. It will be linked in our sources if you feel like watching it, but I did watch it for you to tell you about it because, but it was very sad and I watched it until the wee hours of the morning last night. So he starts off talking to Beth. She's really sweet and cute. She's got a little Southern accent, big eyes. She's very articulate and like talks pretty clearly. And she tells the truth really like, I mean, she doesn't really go, I don't know. Like she kind of answers most of his questions like pretty straightforward. Um, and so Magid asks her, um, are people afraid of you? And she says, yes, my brother's afraid of me because I hurt him so much. She explains how her parents lock her in her room at night so that she won't hurt John, her brother, or her parents. But if given the chance, she said she would hurt her family at night when they can't see me, she says, and she would stab them with a knife. She's pretty unaffected when she talks. And then there's a crawl, like at the beginning of the movie after this little interview that explains that Dr. Magid works with kids who are so traumatized in early life that they can't bond with other people. They cannot love or accept love. They are without conscience. They uh, can hurt or kill, even kill without remorse. And the film shows that victims can be helped. So stay with me. She admits to sticking pins in her brother and says she was trying to kill him because she was hurt so badly she doesn't want to be around people. She also wants to stick pins in mommy and daddy and have them die. So that's how this opens up. Then we go well, back. And we she doesn't a, seem like a liar. You know what I mean? At least right. she's being up front. She's like, yeah. yeah, I want to kill everybody and I'll put a needle in your eye. Yeah, exactly. She's not being like, no, it was an accident. I was holding the pin and we were wrestling. Like, she's just like, yeah, I don't want people to be around me because I was hurt and I kill and I want to kill people. Um, Beth but father. so then she is caring. So she does know she wants to kill him, but she seems like she knows it's wrong or something. Like, I'm so curious. 
It's hard to say. It's hard to t- it's hard to say whether she knows it's wrong or not, but she knows that she was hurt and that that's what maybe she's also speaking cuz she's had therapy before. Maybe she's spe- like speaking re- regurgitating things people have told her. But mm. essentially what happened was Beth's father, she was adopted. So Beth's father Tim was a minister of a small Methodist church in the South. Him and his wife Julie were married for 12 years, unable to have their own children, so they looked to adopt. So in February of 1984, they get this call that two kids are available for adoption siblings. Beth, who was 19 months old, and Jonathan, who was 7 months old. And they were told these kids are normal and healthy. They thought, that "Oh my god." That seems like a dream, like to be able to yeah. adopt like children that young, siblings together. I mean, that like totally. for someone that wants to adopt, that seems like such a kind of yes. perfect. Yeah, miracle. Exactly. Yeah. And they said too, they were like, we thought it was a miracle. Like we had all these friends that had been on waiting lists for years and years. And here we were getting two kids. Like, oh my gosh. And then the narrator goes, their dream became a nightmare when they realized that Beth and Jonathan had severe emotional problems. The narrator is very datelining in this. They started to learn more and more about the kids' background. So the mother died when Beth was one and little Jonathan was just a new baby. Weirdly, there's some articles I read that said Beth thought that Jonathan, that the mother died in childbirth of Jonathan. And that's another reason why she resented him so badly because he, you know, but I was not able to find that in other places. So the mother passed away. I don't know how. The father kept them, the biological father, and he was not a good person. He did not feed them properly, did not take care of them. And he severely physically and sexually abused Beth. And she was like a baby. So this is horrific. And I don't know if, uh, yeah, like I'm watching Roni. I don't know if you've gotten to this part yet, but this is how Bryn was raised. Like she said she would be in a dirty diaper all day. No one fed her. She'd be left alone for days. And that she was saved by her grandmother. But I mean, I knew that being a like this young, that being t- like all these things matter. Like having a baby with love really affects you, but it is also shocking that you can have this much damage done before you're even one. That your body remembers so, neglect and your brain. Yes. Like, that it just seems like, oh, I can figure this out. I have years of reprogramming, and it's like no. Yeah, I- I'm so curious to learn more about this and. How not being held or being treated well as a baby can just fuck you forever. Yeah. Scary. Scary. So they said, so basically, like, the father is telling, like, yeah, I guess little Jonathan was in a diaper all day, like, urine all over his crib, bottles with curdled milk in the crib. Like, it was not a good situation. So they were, they were taken away from him, obviously. But Beth has a, a recurring nightmare, she says, about a man falling on her and hurting him, hurting her with a part of himself. So... It's all very, it's all there. And in the document, in the documentary, they just ask this little six and a half year old about her birth father. And she goes, yeah, he touched my vagina. Like she just is outwardly saying, like using anatomically correct terms, like this is what happened. She said, he wouldn't feed me. He wasn't nice to me. And they go, how old were you? And she said, I was one. And I'm like, normally I didn't think you could remember things from that age. Like my daughter's very articulate, but like if I ask her about something that happened when she was one, she doesn't remember, you know, and she's four. But I think maybe if it's a huge trauma, it's something that sticks in more. But I I didn't know, I don't know. I'm sure we have listeners that like know more about child psychology and like when you start 
forming memories. But she has this nightmare where her dad hurts her. She draws a picture for the therapist of her dad hurting her. The documentary says that because of these early traumas, she never developed a conscience and she never learned to love or trust anyone. And she also exhibited inappropriate sexual behavior, especially towards her brother. She admits in the interview to hitting, pinching, and squeezing her brother's genitals. Her adopted mother caught her molesting the brother, she says. And she said that Beth used to masturbate at inappropriate times and every single day, like all the time. She was like doing it constantly, like in parking lots, like wherever. And her mother said, she tried to tell her like, this is private. Like you can, you know, do this at, like in your bedroom. And she was unfazed and like, didn't like, had no emotion about it. So um, Beth also describes in this interview, harming animals. She says she stuck some animals with pins like dogs and cats and stuff, but she also killed a few baby birds that they had found in a nest. Like the mom came out and found that they were dead. And Beth like describes later how she squeezed them until they died basically or broke their necks. The parents were miserable, understandably, I guess. They said like the little boy would cry every morning with a hurt stomach and they thought maybe he had gastrointestinal issues, but really Beth was coming into his room and punching him in the stomach much like the characters in this episode. And the mom started to notice small knives going missing in the kitchen. And then Beth is describing to her therapist how she took the knives and how she wanted to kill her family with them. And the mom is like telling a story too about how Beth would be like, what do those knives look like that are missing? Are they like the little ones with the green? Like she was like almost saying it with a smile because the mom was like, I know you have them. Like I know you have these knives because the daughter was like, you know, being a little bit manipulative about it. So at that point as well, she had tried to kill the little brother a few times. Like she smashed his head against the cement concrete. And when she talks about it, she goes, yeah, I just couldn't stop. Like I couldn't do it. I mean, I could, like I was just hitting his head against the floor and it was made out of cement and I couldn't stop. And the mom obviously broke it up before she could kill him or do horrible damage. But um, Dr. Magid suggests that Beth be separated from the family temporarily. So she is brought to a treatment facility with an expert on early attachment disorder or reactive attachment disorder is what they say in this um, documentary that she has. And she goes to work with a woman who's featured in the documentary named Connell Watkins. And we see footage of this woman and she explains like, because a child like this is so unattached, they don't let anyone be the boss of them. So at this facility, the facility takes total control. The kids do not have control of anything. You have to want to go to the bathroom. You want to sip a water. Anything you want to do, you have to ask for permission. And this, I guess, creates some kind of bond. And then the children, because a lot of these kids, they say, believe that they themselves are evil. A lot of them think they're bad kids. They're from the devil, whatever. And so the woman's like, we have to transform how they feel in their minds. So she says after they start to go along with the like asking for everything and being like really under their control, then they start to loosen it up a little bit and build trust and letting them have a little bit more freedom. And so they say in the documentary that Beth started to improve like pretty quickly. She started to understand right from wrong. She started to respond to affection, was more outgoing. She ended up going to public school, going to church, singing in the choir. They show her in the documentary with a bird on her shoulder. So now she's playing with animals without murdering them. So they're explaining now she has a conscience and that she wants to heal because she has a family who loves her. And Beth herself talks in this documentary, she talks about the rage that she has inside of her that comes from her birth dad hurting her and it made her want to hurt people. And she says it hurt her the most because when she's hurting other people, she's hurting her good self. And she starts crying and it's like really heartbreaking. Like this documentary is so heartbreaking. So 
Let me get into this a little bit more. The documentary labels her as having reactive attachment disorder. A RAD diagnosis is given only to children with the most severe attachment issues. And these can develop when a child has been bounced around from home to home without any stability, which we see all the time in the foster care system. A child's hunger or hygienic needs are ignored for hours at a time, which happened to little Beth. Parents and caregivers are inconsistent with care or giving affection, or the child is left alone or not touched for hours or days at a time, which we've talked about other like orphanages where this happens. So now we see some of her recovery in the documentary and now like and how life with was with her adoptive parents Tim and Julie. At some point after this, she is adopted by a woman named Nancy Thomas. And I don't really understand what's going on. I cannot find out when, but there are photos of Nancy at Beth's wedding. So they are really related to each other, but I don't know when this second adoption happens. And what's weird is that they say, they call Jonathan, Jonathan Thomas. So did they just coincidentally have the same last name or did she take Thomas as a birth name? Very confusing if you have any information. This was one of those things where a lot of the information was on websites, like not the New York Times, not the Washington Post, like kind of websites where it seems like a bunch of stuff is cobbled together. Most of the links on the Wikipedia page are dead. So a lot of the information I had to deep dive for. But this woman, Nancy Thomas, it was and is, I found her LinkedIn profile, a leading proponent of attachment therapy, which has also been called rage reduction therapy, the evergreen model, holding time, compression therapy, rebirthing or corrective attachment therapy or coercive restraint therapy. It has a lot of different names. So here's the good news. Beth Thomas is a success story. She is living a normal life. She is about my age, a little bit younger. She graduated college and nursing school, got married, is now an award-winning registered nurse in Flagstaff, Arizona. She has co-authored two books with Nancy about how she overcame reactive attachment disorder. One is called More Than a Thread of Hope, and the other one is called Dandelion on My Pillow, Butcher Knife Beneath. Scandalous. But I start reading, much like you with um, the alien parental alienation syndrome, I start reading about attachment therapy and I realized that it's considered a pseudoscience. Like I had no idea. I think in my mind, I was like, oh, that's like legit, right? Isn't attachment therapy like a thing? But I guess it's um, kind of considered not fully legit at all. And remember Connell Watkins, this therapist who helped Beth turn around at this facility and helped her recover with this attachment therapy, Oopsie doops. In 2000, she was arrested and convicted of reckless child abuse leading to the death of a child. She and another woman killed a 10-year-old child while attempting to put them through rebirthing, which There's is a There's an process- SVU on this. There's an SVU where there was a therapy and they sat on her chest with a bunch of pillow. Like, I, there's also like yeah. voodoo type ones, but this, the squeezing of someone for therapy and then they die. It might be even the one with Margot Martindale. I don't remember. I think it is. I think it is. It's with like- little fanning, with yeah. little fanning, L. So she, there's video of it, which is so fucked up. Like I obviously did not watch the video, but I read about the video. And like in the video, this little girl, Candace Newmaker is like, stop, I can't breathe. It's not working. It's not working. Stop. 
I want to die. I want to die. And they're like, go ahead and die then. Like they are leaning. It's like multiple adults are on her. Like it was hundreds of pounds of weight, like on her, this little girl's body. So she did suffocate and die. And it turned out Watkins was not licensed as a therapist. So this whole story is very horrific. She got a 16 year prison sentence, but was paroled after eight years. And it's like, even though this kind of therapy seems to have greatly helped Beth, there have been several deaths of children related to attachment therapy. And it's believed by many to be what Michael Aaron, a PhD wrote in psychology today. He wrote, quote, that it is the most recent in a long line of psychotherapy crazes promising to finally provide the magical solution to reliably heal suffering. So I understand people have deep-seated trauma of things that happen to them and they think, oh, maybe this will work, you know, but I don't really have a time to do a full deep dive into this type of therapy. If you're, I'm sure you guys will message me about it, but from what I'm reading, it sounds like it is, um, not a reliable science. But then I think there's other parts of what I was reading was that people like Nancy are like, nobody does rebirthing anymore. Attachment therapy is about X, Y, Z. And I'm sure there are parts of it that are completely valid and work because Beth Thomas is a success story and it worked for her. I don't think she ever got rebirth. No one was ever sitting on her. But so that's the story of Beth Thomas. I'm also extremely interested in just psychopaths in general and child psychopaths. And I read this amazing article in The Atlantic which it came out in, it's crazy. I swore I read this when I lived in New York. When did this art, when did this article get written? Let me just look really quick. Sorry. No, I'm also wondering if it's like too early to even label Beth a success story. Like what if she's doing fucked up shit as a nurse? Or what if she does snap one day and kill her husband? I don't know. Like, yeah. is there, is there a way to prove this since the therapy is not even proven? Like, well, I, I, think she I hope for stopped, the best. Yeah, I think she stopped trying to harm people physically and kill animals and stuff. Sure. Least, yeah. But why did she not stay with her original family? Did she continue to hurt her brother? Like, she needed to I be with know. this Nancy woman? Like, there is just a lot of questions that I still have of yeah. how this works. Because it's you can't change being a psycho or sociopath, right? Like, that's what B.D. Wong said. There's no cure for this. Right. So I think in this documentary that I'm going to get into this right now, because I think a lot of times people are very reticent, like B.D. Wong's character, to label kids psychopaths. They're like, oh, they have a reactive attachment disorder. Sometimes it can be forms of autism. Sometimes it can be other kind of behavioral disorders. And so they're very reticent to ever put that label on kids. And that's why he does it. And in the next episode, too, there's a lot of like, I don't know if I would sit, you know, whatever, because when they were, because they don't want to label children this way. So anyway, the, here's a little bit of information about child psychopaths. This article that came out in the Atlantic in 2017, I really thought it was earlier. Maybe it was republished, but it's called When Your Child is a Psychopath. It's going to be in the show notes, but uh, it's so fucking interesting. It follows like a bunch of cases of kids who are psychopaths or have been essentially deemed that. How do we decide who is a psychopath? So there is a psychopathy checklist that is called the PCLR because it's been revised. So it's the psychopathy checklist dash R and the R is for the revision. They basically grade you on 20 items, glibness and superficial charm, grandiose sense of self-worth, need for stimulation or proneness to boredom, pathological lying, conning and manipulation, lack of remorse or guilt, shallow affect, callous lack of empathy, parasitic lifestyle, poor behavioral controls, promiscuous sexual behavior, 
early behavior problems, lack of realistic long-term goals, impulsivity, irresponsibility, failure to accept responsibility for own actions, many short-term marital relationships, juvenile delinquency, revocation of conditional release, and criminal versatility. So those are 20 points and they rate them on zero, one, or two. Zero is not presenting, one is partial, and two is a reasonably good match. So the max score you can get is 40 and 30 is the cutoff for psychopathy. So if you score a 30 or above, you're a psychopath, according to this checklist. There is also a psychopathy checklist, youth version, that's the PCLYV, which is an adaptation of the PCLR for 13 to 18 year olds. Then for even younger than that, There is the Antisocial Process Screening Device, APSD, which is an adaptation of the the checklist that can be administered by parents or teachers for six to 13-year-olds. Because like, obviously, short-term marriages, juvenile delinquency, could like revocation of release, there's a few of these things that don't apply to children because they don't have criminal records. Here are some interesting results of people who took the test based on cases that we have covered. Canadian serial killer... Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka, they took the checklist test. Bernardo was evaluated at a 35, well within the psychopath. Homolka, five out of 40. So she was not a psychopath. She was just with a psychopath. Well, what's wild that you covered this episode be, or the, because while you were talking about Beth Thomas, it reminded me of Ari Grainer's character in Damaged. And yeah. the damaged episodes based on the, you know, yeah. the, what is it? Not the Hollywood killer, the the hottie, the Barbie and Ken killers. That's the, but Ken and Barbie are. killers is what they were called. Oh my gosh. But people the- were really mad that she got out of prison and how much was she involved. So this is interesting to see that she's, you know, yeah. might not be a psychopath. And then like Ted Bundy, 39 out of 40. That makes sense. Jeffrey Dahmer, 23 out of 40. He doesn't even test into psychopath. John Wayne Gacy, 27 out of 40. Brian David Mitchell, who was the guy who kidnapped Elizabeth Smart, 34 out of 40. Gary Widgeray, the Green River Killer, who was married to a woman the entire time who was like, he was a lovely husband and did nothing wrong to me ever, got a 19 out of 40. He's the most prolific serial killer, I believe, from the United States. He's killed hundreds of people. Eileen Warnos, 32 out of 40. So she's with, but Eileen Warnos is an example. So much trauma has happened to her, you know? So the Atlantic had this article, like I said, and in it, the author writes that, quote, researchers shy away from calling children psychopaths. The term carries too much stigma and too much determinism. They prefer to describe these children as having, quote, callous and unemotional traits, end quote. Shorthand for a cluster of characteristics and behaviors, including a lack of empathy, remorse, or guilt, shallow emotions, aggression, and even cruelty, and a seeming indifference to punishment. Callous and unemotional children have no trouble hurting others to get what they want. If they do seem caring or empathetic, they're probably trying to manipulate you. End of quote. He The article also states that more than 50 studies have found that kids with callous and emotional traits are more likely than other kids. One study says three times more likely to become criminals or display aggressive or psychopathic traits later in life. And so while adult psychopaths constitute only a tiny fraction of the general population, studies suggest that they commit half of all violent crimes. So even though psychopaths are like, it's a small, tiny percentage. Half of the crimes are committed by them, which is nuts. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So and the they others ta- are just, you know, cheating husbands and wives getting shot at. Yeah, <laughs> like, or crimes of passion. Yeah, people yeah, snapping that's what or I mean. seeing red. Yeah, totally. 
The article talks about how there's nature and nurture to psychopathy. Some people become this way because of traumas and, uh, and other things that we've discussed. For others, it's, quote, highly hereditary, hardwired in the brain, end quote. And no amount of parental love is going to change it or fix it. So honestly, I just want to like read this whole article out loud on the podcast. It's so interesting, but it's one of those very long ones that takes like a few subway rides to read. So I'll let you guys read it yourselves. It is in there, but just interesting plot points about uh, how you determine a psychopath and how we are as a society, very hesitant to ever like label children that. But not at SVU. SVU is just like born psychopath. That's what's happening. <laughs> well, it, it's just really scary. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, as a child-free person, I peruse the Instagram accounts and get in the comments. And oftentimes the whole thing with parents, and I do bits about it, but it's like, if you don't have kids, you'll never understand unconditional love. Or it's like, who's going to take care of you when you're old? Or what about this? And it's the most beautiful thing. And it's like, or your kid could be a born psychopath. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just think that sometimes people are living in a dreamland when you decide to have children where it's like, I'm going to have a kid and they're going to be perfect. And then they're going to take care of me when I'm older. And we're going to, and it's like, no. Yeah. Or your kid can like stab you. How about that? (laughs) And are you ready for that? I just, I find it when parents are trying to convince other people to have kids in these accounts and they come with such anger and it's like, you never know. You yeah. never know. And you well, have to be I'm ready interested. for every kind of way your child is, can be born. I'm interested. Yes, that's true. And I'm this interested in so how many of the children that are considered psychopaths or t- tending towards psychopathy, how many have a legitimate trauma and how many are just born that way? Because like in this article, they they talk about kids that just, this is just how they are. But they also, I've read... um. The, this book called The Psychopath Test by Michael Ronson as well. I am very into this, uh, as you could tell. But they, like, there's people, there are grown adults that know that they're psychopaths and they have, they since they had such a loving family that worked with them from a young age, they just figure out ways to, like, work to not channel their psychopathy into violence. Like, there's, way, like, I remember reading this story about this guy who was just, like, he heard a story where everybody was supposed to feel sad and he was like, yeah, I just didn't feel sad. Like, you know, there's, it doesn't always have to end up being like a killer. You're, you're killing because violence is like something that you're prone to mm-hmm. or you're, le- you're, you know, if you're kept away from violence and really like this guy was like, I live a totally normal life. I have a wife, I have a job. I'm a psych, I'm, I test on to this with the checklist. I test as a psychopath. Yes, but does he love his wife? I don't know. I like, don't know. Can you feel love? Or is it two psychopaths just fucking? Who knows? Hopefully she's a psycho too. It just seems so scary. Yeah, and there will be obviously less psychopaths the less that there are horrible people that are just traumatizing children at young ages as well. But that's for another time. TikToks of like narcissists that are in therapy and they'll be like, as a narcissist, I do this and that and this is how we do this and manipulate you to do this and... Yeah, you know, just like aware of it. Yeah, but you need so much. You need to have a fucking penthouse. That's what sucks about the parents in the episode. They had all the resources and chose not to do it for like superficial reasons. Yeah, and if maybe they did intervene sooner, who knows? Mm. I don't. Yeah. Know. Well, that's it's that wild. On that. And isn't that psychopath uh, book the test? Isn't it uh, like one in twenty people are is a psychopath, or one in twenty five people is a no. sociopath or something? Oh, maybe. He talks about the difference between sociopaths and psychopaths. Oh, yeah. Which the I book honestly... is Sociopath Next Door. That's what I'm oh, thinking of. Yeah. I think their claim is like one in 20 or one in 25 people are a socio. 
Wow. Which seems scary. I Google it like probably once every six months, the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath. It's like, <laughs> I'll get it. And then I'll just completely like not remember it. Oh, to um, me, it's socio and psycho are the same, except psychos act on it. Like a socio feels nothing. And so does a psychopath. But then a psychopath then murders and tortures. Oh, um, hmm. But not necessarily, because I read about this guy who's like, I'm a psychopath and I'm living a normal life. I don't know. Let's move on to our postmortem, since we will not be having a guest in solidarity for SAG-AFTRA and the WGA. Yep. Hey, a postmortem with no guest. We are genre-bending here at (laughs) That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. Basically, what did we learn from this episode about that a parents psychopathic are bad? Baby. Not everyone should be allowed to procreate. I'm with China. Limit. You got to limit. <laughs> you got to limit. I'm into forced sterilizations. That's what you I learned. You only get one. You just get one shot. Honestly, none. If you're like these parents, you should not be allowed to have kids. And Pippa Cox, f- come on. Just because they're rich, it's a nice house. Like, the, the Ruby's in danger. No one cared about Ruby. Nobody. I know. The, you know what I learned? Sexism is alive and real in your own fucking home. That's what I learned. This girl's being thrown down the stairs. She's being abused. She is injured. She has bruises. Her head hurts. There's matches. And it's like, well, we don't want him to be labeled. Like, I know. It is, it is bonkers watching this episode. How little the parents care about their daughter. And how this son will cut this mom's, cut her. And she's like, it's my fault, please. He's fine. And it's like, he just stabbed you. It's so funny because my sister and I talk about this all the time because she's a teacher. And like, parents now will always be like, well, my my kid didn't do anything. And like, my parents, whenever the school called them, immediately were on the side of the teachers. Like, even if I was like, mom, though, that's not how it happened. She'd be like... Don't care. The school called. The teacher said this. I believe the teachers. Like, that's how my parents always were. So, like, I feel like it's such a big shift to this, like, the to the more modern day of, like, no, yeah, I know he's, uh, okay, I know he started a fire, but that he did not mean to do that. And he, like, you know, just, like, excusing your kid's behavior and, like, always thinking that it's an out, it's, like, an external excuse and not like that your kid's just like doing something bad. Well, and I I know that you're lying because I know that you know your kid is an asshole. Like <laughs> this idea of like, not my kid. It's like, you know, it's your kid. Isn't that why you need to drink wine at night? Like, well, don't fucking I lie to like, me. I feel like a little bit subtly, they, they, were, they were a little bit too subtle with the dad. I feel like the dad was the reason the mom was, like, doing so much hiding. Because you could tell the mom was scared. She was like, sometimes I do hate him. And then he slashed her with a fucking knife. Like, and then when we go, you know, spoiler alert, we are covering the second half. At, like, the, the he gets his new wife fully on board, even though she's not. Like, I think we get a lot, we get a lot of the feeling that the dad is probably like, no, I won't label him and this and that, and that the dad's more in the driver's seat of it. And the mom is just like, what? But maybe I'm just being um an apology, a Hope Davis apology. No, well, it's interesting because he kept saying that he has rage issues. Okay, so this was just a clip from a podcast on like YouTube shorts. So please do not, you know, this isn't Bible. But where did that come from? Bible. The Kardashians. Oh my God. I kind of like it. It might be my new thing. So (laughs) um, it was the first time I said it and it made me feel rich. <laughs> so I saw a clip where a professor was teaching about psychopaths 
And um, he was doing like brainwave testing with like he, they were going to test brain activity, but they needed a control group. So everyone in the class and then the professor did brain scans to have a control group. And then one brain was like, oh, this is a psychopath. Fuck. And then the professor checked who it was and it was him. And he was a psychopath. And he was like, oh, that makes sense. And he started kind of going through it. And it is wild because he's never acted on it and he's not a killer and he didn't murder. And you have to be a psychopath. Uh, like you have to do, you have to commit crime to be considered a psychopath. But he, he said something like when people were at dinner talking, he would just wish they would all leave and die. And like, he would think these things, but even the professor didn't put it together that he was a psycho. There are people like that in, this will lead us right into our, what would Sister Peg do? But there are people like that in the article that I talked about in the episode, like the guys that are like, oh yeah, I ended up taking this test and it turns out I'm a psychopath, but I've never done anything violent. And, but I do recognize some of the thoughts I have are like, someone will tell me a story and I'll be like, I don't, I have no empathy for that. Like, uh, like there's, there's nothing is making me feel anything about this story. And he, he figured out that he's on the psychopath scale, but not, this article is really interesting. Let me let me get into it. So, what would Sister Peg do this? Wait, week? more good Taylor Swift news. Not only did she give bonuses to all her crew, you know, totaling fifty five million dollars, it's come out that she's been giving such giant donations at food pantries at every city she goes to. Oh. That like in San Francisco, half a million people um, can eat a month for a year. Like half a million people per month for a year will be able to eat because of wow. Taylor Swift's donations. These food banks say it's the biggest donations they've ever gotten from anyone or entity, any ever. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That's always been my dream to be able to like um, hook up with shelters and stuff when I tour, but never, never done it. Cool. I hope this inspires yeah. lots of people. And then of course, I read Beyonce has been doing this this whole time. Just no, it's, you know, white supremacy always. Yeah. <laughs> Beyonce is um, just not in the convo. It's, it's wild. I just saw yeah. something on Insta where it was just like, everyone's just like, Barbie, Taylor, feminism. And it's like, okay, is Beyonce not changing economies and making billions too? I just, I don't get why, how people don't see it, but whatever. Yeah. And it is Virgo season, which means you've recently had a birthday. Beyonce's recently had a birthday. I'm having yeah. my birthday coming up. We're we're in our we're in our Virgo season, baby. Also, Ludacris is a Virgo. Okay, important. Michelle Visage. We have the same birthday. Well, Luda's SVU. That's why I connected oh, yeah. him. Well, Michelle obviously- Visage should be SVU. Let's yeah. get her on. <laughs> but I could, you know, if we're saying any anyone, I'll say Richard Gere. You know. <laughs> Um, we've definitely talked to other guests and been like, so you're a Virgo. Okay, let's get into what would Sister Peg do? This is our weekly segment where we point you guys to an article, a blog post, uh, a charitable organization, something, a doc, something to give you more info about what we talked about. And I'm obviously pointing you today to the article that I can't stop fucking talking about. I'm obsessed with it. It's from 2017. It's from The Atlantic. And it's called When Your Child is a Psychopath by Barbara Bradley Haggerty. I read this when it first came out. I'm planning to reread it. It's up in my bookmarks right now. It's an article that goes in 
in-depth on several cases of child psychopaths, and it explores the Mendota Juvenile Treatment Center in Madison, Wisconsin, that is um, attempting to treat violent youths. And you can find the link to that in our show notes because I referenced parts of it in the article, but you can also always find our What Would Sister Peg Do's in our WWSPD highlights on our Instagram, uh, where we save them forever. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you saying that. And you did mention Madison. And is it trashy if we say we are coming back to Madison? Okay. (laughs) And next week's episode is Postgraduate Psychopath. Um, Are you shocked or not? It is a two-parter, bang, bang, back and forth. Let's do this. Season 22, episode 14. Let's see how the born psychopath is doing post-graduation. See you next week. Bye, guys. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedappod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.